Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you guys part two of the Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy story. So grab your fire department coffee and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support So if you guys listened to part one, we finished that off with stating that Michelle Carter was indicted for an involuntary manslaughter. So this episode, this part is going to focus a lot on the trial and some more information that kind of comes out through the trial. So initially, when she's indicted for this charge, there is a lot of controversy around it. And I think there probably still is even now. This trial really started taking place in 2015. It's now 2022 that we're recording this. And there's definitely still some controversy around whether or not encouraging someone else to kill themselves is a crime. There was a man, and I didn't quite catch his title. Um, I didn't see what his title was, but his name was Dana Curram. And he said that if... Well, he gave a couple examples and he's like, you know, this wasn't really a crime. She just encouraged Conrad to do something. But if she would have said, either kill yourself or I'm going to kill you or, you know, jump off the bridge or I'll push you, there would be a crime in this instance. But that just encouraging someone is not a crime. There was a guy that, and I didn't catch his name either in the documentary. He must have been shown earlier and I didn't think he was important enough to type his name up. And then they showed him again. And I couldn't find him when I was trying to scroll through it. But I think he was one of the attorneys. And he said that this case here with Michelle and Conrad, the fact that it made it to trial is going to be something that is going to scare people's free speech. And I I could see that for sure. But he said it's going to scare people's free speech with discussing suicide and it'll make it so that people can't encourage their encourage their loved ones to commit suicide. It's such and a, I don't agree. You know, this is such a hot button subject, so I'm really not trying to offend anybody. So I apologize if I do. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to this situation. This episode is 100%. Well, this there's different portions that are 100% our opinions and our opinions only we are not saying our opinions are 100 accurate but this is our podcast so we want to speak about our thoughts and we want to hear your thoughts as well so obviously send them to us so it's it is very interesting to look at it in the sense of freedom of speech because that is something we technically have but there's also that whole like intent like she was intending a certain outcome and pushing it Now, I think for me, the hardest part in this situation is that they're kids. And I think that weighs on me more than anything else. They're kids with that had 
depression or anxiety or some mental instabilities. And so for me, that's where my leniency towards it comes in. Whereas what if you're an adult, albeit if you have a mental illness and you're an adult, you can't, you're not completely in the right mind anyway. And I'll give you that. But I think there's an extra layer when it's children. Okay. Yeah, I for sure could see that as well. Like you said, freedom of speech is a thing that we all have here in the United States. Um, It is a part of our constitution. However, I think that encouraging someone to end their life is not something that falls under free speech. Yeah, I think it's fair to say objectively the situation wasn't handled the way it should have been and probably would have been if it were an adult, a psychologist, a parent, XYZ. There's, like, no doubt in my mind that that definitely wasn't the way to handle this kind of situation, and it shouldn't be how they're handled. But, again, she's a kid, you know? It's it's just hard. It's a toughie. The thing with this is, as well, so this happened in Massachusetts, this whole situation did. And not saying that this is the exact same thing, but we, I think we could agree. Abby, would you say that uh, euthanasia or assisted suicide are similar to what happened in this circumstance? N- not necessarily. That's a tough question, too, because it depends on how you want to look at it. I'm going to go off of how I view that kind of situation is people who have a terminal illness or, you know, something has happened where they can't live even a close to normal life physically and it's probably gonna not be a a healthy long living situation so that's how I view like physician assisted suicide in a sense so it's hard to even compare to the two because it almost feels like two different scenarios to me okay so the only thing I wanted I was going to point out in relation to that and as you guys know Abby and I usually have differing opinions (laughs) usually Um, Hence the John Bonet episode or the man of 1023 or whatever room number he was in. Um, But euthanasia or euthanizing another person is illegal in all of the United States. Mm -hmm. Assisted suicide is legal in 10 states in the U.S. It is not legal in Massachusetts. I was unaware that was even legal in states. It is legal in Washington, D.C., California, Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, New Mexico, Maine, New Jersey, Hawaii, and Washington. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Can't say it's something I've really dug into deep before. I, I don't know that I've looked into it a whole lot necessarily. I know you and I have definitely talked about it. Right. On certain episodes and then just outside of the podcast. But I found it to be interesting to know that it is legal in certain places and that almost even in theory in the court of law it shouldn't it shouldn't matter right but i think maybe subconsciously that kind of muddies up the situation even more that is obviously not exactly assisted suicide or euthanizing people came up in this conversation and in this trial but I wanted to hear thoughts on that just because I think there are some similarities, especially with this guy saying that you can't encourage loved ones to commit suicide. Well, in most states, you can't because it's illegal, even if it is assisted or, 
euthanizing somebody. Um, so that's the only reason that I brought it up. That wasn't exactly what happened here. One thing that is noted a lot that I'll bring up now, and I bring up a couple different times throughout her trial, but Michelle's facial expressions are interesting, to say the least. She seems kind of like she just doesn't care at all. The face that I'm referring to specifically is a face that makes me think that she feels like she's there. It's like a waste of her time that she's there. And Abby, I'm actually going to send this to you and see what your thoughts are on this photo. Now, uh-huh. now this is I'm a photo a, that... Oh. Now, this is a photo where she was scrutinized quite a bit. Abby, what are your thoughts? This is definitely um, a face of, like, the side eyes, everything. Um, I don't know the context of this photo. I think you can definitely interpret that in a way that's not remorse. But I have to throw this out there because I know how I am. When things are sad or awkward or depressing sometimes, like, I smile and laugh because that's how I react. And so I think it's just, it's hard to like judge how somebody's going to react to situations like this. But that, that side eye, I can see where the controversy is coming up for sure. Yeah. That one gets scrutinized quite a bit. People just feel like she was kind of brushing it off. Uh, And we will get into that a little bit more in just a moment. So Michelle did end up waiving her right to a jury for her trial which i don't think happens very often not in cases that we cover anyways or cases that i've really heard about um obviously there's cases where people go in immediately wanting to plead guilty but this is a case where she wasn't going in pleading guilty and yet she did not want a trial or she did not want a jury involved in her trial so that put all of the pressure on the judge who was in charge of this trial which was Lawrence Bonas. Um, so everything was left to him for the verdict, for the sentencing. It all fell on him. Honestly, for this case, I get it. I think a larger number of people like in a jury would be like, I think she would be more likely to be found guilty. And Yeah, that's a very good point that I honestly hadn't thought about. She probably did deny the jury because of how public it had been it was all over the news i remember hearing about it here in indiana Mm -hmm. well and not to mention i mean with something that a case that's so up in the air like this a judge it's like a 50 50 in theory whereas it's i think it's harder to get that probability with a jury Yeah, I think the jury could have definitely complicated it, having that many opinions coming into it. And it would have been very difficult to find an unbiased jury at that point. So during the trial, um, this is when a lot of this information is coming out. So I'm going to kind of spiel a lot at you guys. Um, So about an hour after Conrad had been reported missing, Michelle ended up texting Conrad's sister and saying, did you find him yet? Conrad's sister's name was Camden. I didn't say that yet, but Camden said, no. Michelle said, stay positive. Let me know if you find him. Then Michelle texts Camden a couple days later after they discovered that he had died and said, quote, hey, love, please talk to me if you need to. I need to I want to do everything I can to help you and your family through this very difficult time. End quote. It was around this point when 
Michelle had been texting Camden that Camden had mentioned it to her mom and her mom had also decided to text Michelle and Lynn was texting and saying, you know, I'm so glad Conrad had you in his life. Like you did so, so great. Your mom and dad did a great job raising like a wonderful daughter, a strong woman. And remember at this point, she had no idea about these text messages And then Conrad, they had the funeral for him, and then he was cremated. And Michelle ended up texting Camden after finding out that he was cremated and asked if she could have some of his ashes, which I guess, I don't know, I thought that was slightly weird to ask the family if you could have some of the ashes. I think it truly points to how you're going to feel about those kind of things is going to point to how you feel about the situation and Michelle herself. So, like, personally, for me, I have this, like, this sense of compassion for her that, like, for me, I feel like she was struggling and going through stuff. And this was a bad situation all around, obviously. I don't see her and think of her as, like, a psychopath who was trying to murder him in a way. I don't think she was getting true joy out of the situation, personally. Obviously, you can twist that in any way because the human mind and brain is insane and mental health issues make you do insane things so it it just for me it screams a girl who admittedly took advantage of a situation but also was like trying to deal with it it's weird it's a weird combination of empathy and like how could you do that like a mix for me with these conversations michelle also texted conrad's mother lynn at one point and said quote you tried your hardest i tried my hardest everyone tried their hardest to save him end quote in the documentary lynn does address this text as well and she said that she thought it was kind of suspicious that michelle said that we all tried our hardest because if you remember in part one i said lynn and conrad jr had thought that Conrad had gotten through all of his depression and he like not gotten through it enough but like wasn't struggling they thought he was doing better because of the help that they had gotten him he was on meds they thought that things were just overall better so I'm actually gonna go into the meds right now which a little bit of background about Michelle I, I, I don't have a ton of info about her I didn't I didn't focus a whole lot on like her life prior to this whole situation um I know that she didn't have a whole ton of friends. Um, She had struggled for a while with an eating disorder and with depression for herself. And she was on medication at the time of all of this happening. Um, There was a psychiatrist that was involved in a lot of this information as well. And he testified in the trial. And he said that the medication that, that Michelle was taking could cause suicidal thoughts that was a side effect of it which is a whole other issue because almost all antidepressants cause suicidal thoughts as a like has that as a side effect so it, it was something that was noted though as for her friend group she had a really small friend group at school she did have a friend when she was younger her name was alice and they had played soccer together Michelle at one point had said that she had been in love with Alice and in love with Conrad and then said that there had been some physical things that had happened between her and Alice and that there had been a like romantic relationship. They weren't officially together, but that she had 
fallen in love with Alice. They, Alice did deny all of this. She said nothing physical to ever happen. And there was actually a point in time where Alice completely stopped talking to her and told Michelle that it was because her mom didn't want them talking anymore because Michelle was causing trouble. There is no way to corroborate the story that Michelle has told, whether or not they did have a physical relationship and Alice has chosen not to speak on that or admit to it is one like is possible or it's also possible that Michelle had kind of thought this up in her head. Um, those are the two things that are that are an option for the situation. Um, something that was talked about though, Michelle in the text messages, it was very clear that Michelle had kind of started the relationship between her and Conrad. So they had been dating and Michelle was like, well, do you love me? Like, am I your girlfriend? I want to tell people I'm your girlfriend. And Conrad was like, sure. But it didn't really seem like Conrad was necessarily as into the relationship as Michelle was. As for the friends that I'm talking about that Michelle had, um, and I'm going to use the term friends loosely, um, only because it's not quite clear when these friendships started. And it's not quite clear that this is a reciprocated friendship. They actually brought like four girls from Michelle's school in to be a witness during this case. They all said that they didn't really hang out with Michelle very often. They didn't really have a relationship with her. They, um, one of the girls said, I think one or two of the girls said they never hung out with her outside of school. And sometimes she would just text them, but it seemed like she was more looking for attention. On July 10th, 2014, two days prior to Conrad committing suicide and three days prior to him being found, Michelle texts her group of friends and tells them that Conrad is missing and nobody can find him. But at the same time that she's texting these friends to tell them that Conrad's missing, she's also texting Conrad because Conrad's not missing and he's totally fine. So it In the trial, it was brought up that it was very strange. She had texted her friends a few days prior to Conrad going missing and telling them that that he was missing. There were a lot of notes, which is kind of what we're going to go into, that she was really attention-seeking at this point. I said that she didn't have a whole lot of friends. Um, Her friends that she... Friends, like I said, loosely, didn't really hang out with her. Um, They kind of talked to her a little bit. But unless there was something really going on in her life, they weren't really interested in that friendship, uh, which is what they also said while they were on trial. I will say that watching them on trial and watching Michelle as they were talking about how it wasn't a real friendship, they didn't actually like her, kind of things like that, I did feel a little bad for Michelle. Everything you've you've been saying these past couple minutes are making making me feel bad too like again i don't i don't think it's far-fetched to say that she was struggling too she was very much so struggling at this time on july 12th the night that she was on the phone with conrad and he was actively dying while they were on the phone she ended up texting her group of friends later on and said that someone had called her and she heard somebody on the phone that was moaning and very clearly in pain and she also heard a motor in the background the next day she starts texting her friends because conrad's been found dead and she wants to go and hang out with all of her friends all these people she's like can you hang out with me i want to get my mind off of it and some of her friends kind of did but they were also like this is weird 
like and they were kind they admitted they were kind of only doing that because they knew that if they were in that situation they would want somebody to do that for them Michelle at one point does organize an event to raise money for mental health awareness and it's called Homers for Conrad. She posted on Facebook. She's getting it going. It's going to be like a baseball tournament because Conrad was into baseball and she has it in her hometown instead of Conrad's hometown, which kind of caused some controversy as well. And then she posts, like I said, she posted on Facebook. She texts her friends and says, that it was on Facebook. They should go check it out. And then she said, quote, I'm like famous now, end quote, which could come off a little bad, I think. I, So, like I said, this whole episode, I went back and forth. I feel bad for Michelle. I don't feel bad for Michelle. I feel bad for Michelle. I don't feel bad for Michelle. When she said that, I didn't feel bad. When she, her friends were talking about how they didn't really like her, I felt bad. There was a lot of back and forth and honestly i've researched this whole episode and in the end i i'm not even completely sure where to land with this so some more information that we find out about conrad is in october 2012 so he was talking with michelle this time like i said they had met in february of 2012 he actually overdosed on acetaminophen which is tylenol and he was admitted to a psychiatric hospital for his suicide attempt after they pumped his stomach Um, They did note that he had had four suicide attempts prior to the one that took his life in 2014. And at the time of this one in 2012, Michelle did text him and tell him that he shouldn't kill himself because he had a lot to live for. Due to these suicide attempts and then the help that he was getting from his psychiatrist and his counselors, he was on medications as well. And the psychiatrist that looked through this um, try like the help through the trial and looked through these cases did say that the medication Conrad was taking also had side effects of suicidal thoughts and the fact that both Conrad and Michelle had that and they were kids definitely could have played a factor into the way things went down in July there so I know we read a bunch of texts between Conrad and Michelle in part one but some more texts has talked about how Conrad asking Michelle if they could be Romeo and Juliet. And Michelle said, I'd love to be your Juliet. But then she says, maybe not the actual dying part, though. Which is, it's weird to me to think that this happened two weeks before the messages that we read to you guys in part one. Because the messages in part one are so persuasive and encouraging for Conrad to end his life. Another text between the two, Conrad tells Michelle if she tells anybody about his suicidal thoughts, then he's going to hate her forever, which is problematic, obviously, um, in my head. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Especially if this is like one of the only people in her life, it sounds like that's giving her attention. Yes, very much so. Now, we're going to we're going to kind of take a 180 here. So bear with me. Has Anybody, I'm sure you got most of you guys have heard of the show Glee. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I can tell by Abby's face she's very confused. So for those of you confused, I'm sorry. I'm going to explain. So, Michelle was known for having a deep obsession with Leah Michelle, the main character in Glee, who plays Rachel Berry in the show Glee. So, if you guys watched the show, Rachel Berry aka Lee Michelle was dating Corey Monteith aka 
Finn Hudson in the show. So Finn and B- Rachel are dating. Leah and Corey are dating in real life. So in July of 2013, Corey Monteith um, ends up overdosing on drugs and he dies. This obviously hit Leah Michelle very hard personally and it also hit the show Glee personally because Corey was still on the show. In the show, they wrote on his death and in real life, obviously, Leah was mourning the death of her boyfriend on screen and off screen. This is almost one year exactly from the date that Conrad committed suicide. Now, I stated that Michelle had kind of a slight obsession with her. She would post all kinds of things about Leah on Facebook. Oh, no, on Twitter. She was constantly posting about Leah and what was going on in her life. Now, she was also in her text messages to Conrad quoting without the quotations, but telling Conrad things that Leah Michelle had said either in the show as Rachel Berry or on interviews in relation to the fact that Corey had died in real life, which was noted to be extremely odd in this in the trial. They It was brought up. There was a man who did write some articles. I don't remember what company he was with, but his name was Jesse Barron. And he talked about it a lot because he's like, it's really weird that she was constantly quoting Leah and telling Conrad that she was like the love of his life. And that like, it was, it was weird. The exact quotes that she had been sending to him. And then they would like, I saw the quotes that had been sent. And then the clips of Leah Michelle saying them. And it was weird. It's man. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you went through this. I know I did. When I was in like middle school, let's say, and maybe even early high school, like there were so many movies and shows that I wanted to be my life in books that I wanted to be my life so badly. Like, I'm not surprised at all. So I I think that it's okay to a point. I think that the problem here is that people speculated that Michelle wanted conrad to kill himself so that she could play the same role as leah or rachel grieving the loss of their boyfriend which again it just really points to like mental illness in michelle i think i 100 percent agree which like i said it does come up she did have mental illnesses she had struggled with the eating disorder she had been on medications she'd struggled with depression and i think that she herself needed help and she was so focused on trying to get help for conrad that but also not trying to get help for conrad it's a it's a hard tough tricky situation so as the trial's kind of coming to an end there's a few more things that come out and then we hear the verdict so if you guys want to join us back for part three we're gonna give the last few information pieces about the trial we are going to give some information about her sentencing and We're going to discuss a few more things that are more our thoughts than the thoughts of the public. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>